Hello and welcome to Sunday Fun Day. Today, my wonderful guest is Gabe Dorado. How Hello. are you? Thank you so much for I'm good, coming I'm good. How are you? on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'm so glad I got to get you on. You're my first Cuban American stand up comic. Nice. So, like, yeah, as we were, you, you sound so much like my uh, father's side of the family today. So you're Miami me, Cuban. Yeah. You, you basically just inherited like 10% of the words. Mm-hmm. Everything else is English, but with the 10% Cuban that you know. Yeah. Where were you born? I was born in Miami, but my parents oh, were Cuban. Okay. But oh, okay. Okay. My, my mom from Havana, my dad from Orguin. Oh, okay. My dad's from Havana too, as well. I don't know where the rest of his family and all that. Because yeah. it was it was different years. So, what part of Miami did you grow up in? Um, I grew up till I was fourteen in Alapata, Wynwood. Uh huh. Before it was what it is now. Like now, it's like Williamsburg. You know, it's it's hipster. Oh, I it's know. But uh, like I have two friends from high school that actually own a bar seven blocks from where I grew up in Wynwood, Alapata. That would have never existed when I was a kid. Like it was a completely different neighborhood. Yeah, I grew up in Florida, so I know, and all, half of, like I told you, half of my father's size family, they're all in Miami, they're in Kendall area, and my okay, aunt's well, a do- doctor over there, so yeah, I know how, I spent a well, lot that, of we summers. Ended up, we, we ended up moving, I went, I lived in Alapata, Winwood, till I was 14, so that's 1994, and then, uh-huh. um, till recent, we lived in, like, near Doral, like, past FIU, near the, the, the swamps, basically, near Miccosukee. Oh, okay. I know where that's So like at. 100, like you actually, um, where a uh, Dolphin Mall is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I lived, exactly. I lived like five blocks from Dolphin Mall until I was like, until two years ago. Um, my, my family's pretty much spread out now. But oh. I, I saw a family in Miami that actually live in Kendall and in Miami Lakes. And then I have family that lives in Naples now, Sebring, Florida, um, New York, like every, everybody, like all the Cubans pretty much <laughs> spread out, dude. Yeah, no, my family's Kindle, Coral Gables. I think I got a cousin in the on the beach. Surprisingly, I don't have any relatives in Hialeah. Um, <laughs> Hialeah. And yeah, and then I told you earlier, my daughter's father, my daughter, do- what I just, I lived, there was one point in Vegas I lived, and there's a whole Cuban community over there. And when I lived, the time I lived in, Miami I I mean in Vegas I was like how did everybody come here and they told me a lot of them came in the 90s and they said that basically like the church said where do you want to go and so they thought they remember watching um one of the movie I forgot what crime movie or whatever and they they thought like oh there's a lot of money there so there's a big believe it or not Cuban community all in Las Vegas and I happened to I happened to meet when I lived there that's when I met my daughter's father which is insane um, it's funny. But, have, have you ever seen the movie um, Dance With Me? Dance With Me. What's that about? It sounds familiar. It's uh, Cheyenne and Vanessa Williams. He's oh, Cuban. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Like, that's kind of, you're saying a little bit of the background, like, in Vegas area, like, the Cubans that live there. Like, Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. I think, like, in, in, the, in, in the movie, like, the very first scene, the, the Cuban family that this guy meets is, like, a Cuban family from Vegas. Like, so it's, that's funny. Like, yeah, I don't, oh, I don't I know why you, know you just brought me right back to that. Like, oh, I don't remember. I didn't even watch. I really didn't. Want, I can't remember that movie. I re- I know of the movie because Cheyenne was on it, and I had a friend that was in love with him. 
it's a movie that you would have never <clears throat> guessed to be like a pretty good movie because the, the dancing is great. Like it's very uh authentic, like salsa, like roots, not like salsa ballroom dancing, like like a salsero, oh, like a, 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 yeah, like a has got it, just organically can create a sequence <laughs> by like or just freestyling, like right. So yeah. how how did you end up in uh, New York and become a comic? Um, a... What's funny the the goal the the road of goals changed not a lot but um, mm-hmm. from Miami I went to college in Mobile Alabama I played baseball in college and then um I quit oh. playing I quit playing my senior year and I just I was always a creature of habit I played sports uh, after baseball I started. Uh, competing at uh, kickboxing mm-hmm. um to the point that i'm in 2004 i moved to new york um and then at the time i, was, I don't know if you've read the the, the movie the, the the movie the the book the artist way mm-hmm. no 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 it, it's written by uh, julia cameron um kind of changed my life at that moment and the the whole thing of the book kind of made you write three main things that you wanted to do and one was moved to new york and at the time i was bartending and i was like i want to bartend i got like in my head the movie cocktails i wanted to experience that like <laughs> um two was i wanted to do try martial arts i was already doing that mm-hmm. but that wasn't the n- number one thing on my list the number one thing on my list was try improv or, or comedy or acting like just just in that direction right um playing sports my whole life it was always uh in the way of what i actually i actually want, want to try doing it Right. So my, my my senior year in college, I took an acting class. I loved it. You don't learn how to take, you don't learn how to act in like, acting class in college. Like, it's just a good dose of like, do you like it or not? Right, right, right. And builds up uh, that confidence if you could stand up in front of other people. Exactly. And then the only way for you to learn is to go do it and try to do it and fail. And, you know, just say, right. well, stand up. Um, I started doing stand up in 2010, but uh, from like 2004, I quit kickboxing 2006 and I started doing improv in 2006-2007 I did it for four years I was in a bunch of troops Uh, like I loved doing improv but then I got to a point that I was like man I have uh, all this improv stage time for no reason (laughs) Um, around the time that I started I I was doing a little bit of sketch Um, one of the guys another Cuban guy he uh, he brought up the idea that um, I should write a one-man show Um, this is like 2000 seven 2008 uh-huh. and we we ended up writing it together like we, we would meet once a week and it basically was a one hour parody of my life it was called oh, uh, the the we called it the, the cuban joe show <laughs> and it was cool yeah. like i got to, i got to do it for a few uh, uh latino uh, theater festivals at the time oh, and uh nice. it, 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 it was pretty it basically was a it was about a cuban who came on a raft that wanted to be a movie star like that was like the whole hour what it was about and then like i kind of based it on the iliad like homer's iliad uh-huh but i called it the ilian because i, I was cuban I was like oh because i'm cuban oh, oh, like, like, stupid <laughs> but um that kind of was what like guided me to write this this little play i guess um what made me start doing stand-up was after doing this one-man show for a year like I was, I started getting burned out playing the same character on stage every day. Right. Like right. just as cheesy. Like I was basically playing like my uncle, like an exaggerated Cuban 
like doing that for a whole hour was exhausting that i was like man you know what i'd rather i'd rather make people laugh be myself on stage and i started just going to open mics and because i was bartending and managing in the village at the time i had look good connections to like per- potential to start producing shows um which i don't know if you've ever read like david mamet like any of his books before but um okay. david mamet's like a very famous playwright uh-huh glenn gary glenn ross oh okay yes he's a, he's a he was an actor he basically started writing his own plays because he wanted to work if he wasn't getting casted in anything he was auditioning for he wanted to still get on stage so that was kind of how my theory when i first started doing stand-up like, like i'm not i just started doing this i'm not a big name like unless you're a famous name you're not going to get easy access to the stage so right yeah i kind of did, had the same approach like you know what if my only goal right now to do stand-up is to get better and to get funnier and to get to stage time, then I'll just create my own opportunities to do it. Yeah, that's how you have to be now. You have to make, you can't sit there and wait for opportunities. Sometimes you have to make them. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, yeah. I just, when I see, there's so many levels when even yes. when it comes to like in any field, like acting, stand-up, um, singing, like levels that you're going to pass and levels that you have to like experience also to grow. Um. I knew the reality was like the only difference between like a person that performs at the comedy center or the comedy store, which are like the two biggest clubs in the world mm-hmm. is that they perform a lot. Like their reps are yeah. a certain amount of reps that don't sound normal to the average person. Right. And I think that's the only, it's just like going to the gym. The only way for you to get in shape is by going to the gym a lot. That's so true. That's getting like, up, getting up and performing and then having to write your own stuff. A hundred percent. But that, yes. that's what your learning curve has to find that balance for both. Because the thing is that you have to get on stage. That's the only way for you to, to become a better performer. Like, right. Now, like I, have, have to- I have to ask you a question because being Cuban from Miami and then all of a sudden going to Al- Alabama for college. I played baseball. So that was that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's, like, but living in Alabama versus Miami. Oh, it was weird. It's crazy. How was the culture shock? Because uh, my oldest just went to FSU and she, and she graduated in Tampa, Florida. And she, but she had a lot of people around her, a lot of Hispanic people around her and all that. And it wasn't so much of a culture shock for her. Be, well, it was a little bit in Tallahassee, but I can't imagine how it was. I understand you were doing base. How was that culture shock? Because I remember the first time I ever went to somebody to somebody that was in Hispanic's house for a birthday party and they only served cake. And the the culture different. Do you understand? Like being Latino, when you go to that first birthday party and it's not a Latino's birthday party and they're just serving cake and they're giving you me they're like this big, like a little piece of cake like that. And that's it. And there's no other food. Like no croquetas. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, like, like, how did you? How did you? Like, how was My, that? Well, 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 what they have just noticed is like, in in positive ways, uh-huh. almost all cultures are the exact same thing. Really? Like, like they have their version of croquetas. You know what I mean? Like, That's you just true. have to be you just have to be open to eat them. <laughs> like, I'm not a picky eater, so I don't know. Like when I first moved there, like I, I'm a very 
friendly social person. So it was easy for me right, to make right. friends. And, and it's funny is out of all of the Latinos, when Americans, like just white, the white society here is Cuban. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, Cuban. Oh, hey, wow. Like party. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so right away, I was just stereotyped with something positive and uplifting for people. Like, oh, you're Cuban? Oh, cool. Like, so yeah. it's so dumb. It's such a dumb thing. Yeah. But um, the only hard part was like, it, like a lot of people were, like I was the first Hispanic they ever saw. Uh-huh. So like they, the, the ignorance was a little crazy. Like they're like, oh, you, like they would hear me talking, like you speak Mexican and like, dude, I speak Spanish. Like, God. Like that's like, like Mexicans speak Spanish, dude. Like they don't speak Mexican. Like it's right, right, yeah, yeah. But uh, that that that's that was the only kind of like when I culture. But the food, was... the food. My cousin, listen, my cousin. Oh, he's born and raised in Miami. He went to school in uh, somewhere in Georgia. Yeah, but the okay. fried chicken, uh, pulled pork, pulled chicken, mashed potatoes, freaking cornbread. Like they they have good food. You just gotta. They have good food. Yeah. He lost fifty pounds. He oh, didn't no, get, get the dude. freshman fifteen. He lost. Literally 50 pounds going from Miami. I don't know. I forgot, Savannah, Georgia. That's where he was. It oh was God, a, that, that has, I almost went to school there. They actually, I, I, that's one of my favorite places to go visit. They oh, have the really? best food ever. Yeah. They do have the, well, he lost 50 pounds. I don't like. That, that's crazy. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> Savannah, Georgia is considered <laughs> New Orleans sister city. Oh, okay. So they, it's very Cajun food. Like do that place. I love it. good. But you liked Alabama? You liked it really? Like that? You didn't I have mean, no culture shock with the food? As, yeah. It was very limited. Like, I, there wasn't really... Like, for example, like New York City or Miami or L.A., I can go to a good sushi place. Like, I can go to a right. good restaurant. restaurant. Um, I can go to a good, like, Mexican... You know, like, I can go to every, anything I want. Like, yeah. in Alabama, like, what you considered a good sushi restaurant, well, like, is big, like, <laughs> pretty gray you know like it's like, yeah it, yeah yeah it was the best thing that you they had there but it wasn't i remember i remember the first time that my brother took me to a sushi restaurant when i moved to new york city this is two years before i moved here it was like 2002 mm-hmm. i felt like i was in like disney world dude like I, so the pieces of sushi that i got at this place in four sills queens was the biggest piece of sushi i ever saw in my life compared to what i would eat like in alabama <laughs> so that's the thing it was just a different kind of food like i the, the food did i'm not a picky eater so the food didn't really um. affect me like I, I love Cuban food, but I love like my girlfriend's Italian. Oh, okay. Her, her mom loves me because I go to her house and I'll eat everything. But we, but in our culture, we were raised to eat. Of course, <laughs> yeah. we were raised to eat. Like we were, we Italians though. Like you Italians, you you could dip. But when I just remember like going to a birthday party, I probably was ten years old, getting the little piece of cake and then being like, where, where's everything else? Like. I was like, where, where, like, I rem- I'll never forget being like in shock, going to my first non-Latino birthday party and being like, well, where's the food? Like, Well, actually, the first white Baptist wedding that I went to, we, uh, oh, we I got to there- hear about this. I got to hear about well, this. It's funny. Nothing really. We got there 15 minutes late and the wedding uh-huh. was over. Oh, yeah. No, it, like it was like <laughs> a, a, one of the guys, one of the guys on my baseball team. Getting married, we show up and we get there 50 minutes late. And it was a, another wedding already, like happening. But what about and the food? <laughs> they no. were, every, every, everybody was already at the reception. But uh, the thing is, like me, and the only people that were late were me and the only other other half Cuban Puerto Rican baseball player on the team. 
Right. We, we both figured it was like a wedding in Miami that's going to start an hour late because it starts <laughs> at three and you take pictures and it doesn't really start till four. Oh, yeah, yeah. That whole hour before they go uh, to the reception. For the pictures. Well, that's yes. we assume we assumed that was going to happen. We we got to this wedding. The wedding was over. I was like, oh, my God. Dude, like, no way. So, but that's just so just from being in like Cuban time. Right, right. No, exactly. Because that's what I'm saying. There's a world of difference when you leave uh, your little area, your pocket. Yeah. I've experienced that, though, because I've lived in different places. And I'll never forget when I was in Vegas, too. I'll never forget. Um, like the when I first went to the West Coast, the culture shock of different words people said, and I had to learn a whole yeah. different Spanish. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is different. I mean, it's it, 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 it's funny say because like I until now I've been and I've, I've never really like made the parallel from like moving to Miami to Alabama, from Alabama to New York. But I also lived in I lived in Costa Rica for six months at one oh, point. Oh wow! Um, this is like I would say like nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what brought you the there? Only, it's the only break that I've ever taken from stand-up comedy um, in uh-huh. my twelve years doing it. Um, I helped open a bar down there. Oh okay. And then uh, I was only supposed to be there for a month, and then I ended up being down there for six months. You just didn't want to leave. It was a combination of two things. Like I wanted, I, it was the first in my at the time it was at my ten years living in New York. It was the first break that I got getting outside of New York City for more than a week. Well, I understand. Like like at that point, I hadn't had a vacation longer than like six days or five days or seven days. So going to Costa Rica for it was going to be three and a half weeks at the time. I was like, dude, how many chances? I haven't got to. I'm getting I'm getting paid to go open to help open a bar down there. How many times did you get the chance to do this? So I, I kind of embraced it completely. And then at the time, I, wa- I wanted to see the operation succeed. And I kind of fell in love with Costa Rica that I was like, you know what? I can stay down here a little longer. Um, it ended up being like a disaster of a project because of the owners that I was working with. But mm-hmm. um, I knew it was weird. Like I, It was one of those moments in your life that like I, I knew it was going to be like one foot forward and two steps back. Yeah but it was going to put me in a better position because and, and after I, when I finally moved back to New York, it made me learn like my value of just what I wanted in life. And like, I love Costa Rica, but I was like, that's, this is a place to retire. Like everybody, every American that lived in Costa Rica was done with America. Right. Like they're complete, like they're part of the lifestyle. They're like, you own a business and you live down there. Like I'm not at the time I had, I had just been doing stand up for, I would say like two years, three years, and I uh, I was in a good position stand-up wise, like just starting getting as much stage time as possible. I was, I was already running shows at the Grizzly Bear, mm-hmm. and uh, it made me realize that you know what, I'm not ready to retire from life in New York, and my like I want to I want to at least see my goals all the way through until I right. come back come back and live down here. I can see myself living in Costa Rica easily, like at the later point of my life. Yeah. No, I get you. I'm in the same position, too. Like, there's still more. There's still New York. There's still a lot of things in New York that I want to accomplish. And but I could see myself living somewhere else once I'm retired. Yeah, 100 percent. Exactly. Yeah. And it's too much in the grind. Right. And, And New York gets you stuck. It does get you stuck. But at the same time, like it's opportunities. It, and it, 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 they can constantly keep growing and you're, mm-hmm. you're that idea that brand that whatever you're doing it just constantly keeps getting better and better by you being in the mix now however I've, I've 
starting to see a lot of people that have left New York City and still do well because they figured out the formula. And it's a little harder at first, but and there's not as many opportunities, but I think you know how to make the opportunities in front of you count more when you go, when you go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I feel like right. New York and LA are the top two for creatives, but I've seen other people, other places, and I know what you're talking about because like people going to Austin, people going to Vegas, um, and they they somehow make it happen. Yeah. But I do feel like the big, big opportunities are in the two cities, either LA or New York, which I was lucky to live in LA for 10 wonderful years. And I love that city a lot. And I just feel like between these two cities, if you're a creative person, if you're doing stand up, if you're, you know what I mean? You're an actor, even if you're doing music, I think yeah. you need to be in the the one of the two. Person. Well, I think it's it's weird. I think those two, three places are the places that give you the, give you the other opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's and, bigger there, there are bigger doors or bigger gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I lived it. LA was it was a very I really like living there. Um I enjoyed it, but then it's yeah, you do there's some things you can do there that you can't do here. And you know what I mean, but e- either one is just as good. So. Yeah. So where have you been predominantly doing comedy at the you said the Grizzly uh pair? The Grizzly pair. Well, I uh I don't know if you know any backstory on it. It's no share with me. Share with me. We've got time. So I've been doing stand up since 2010. I mm-hmm. like I started producing shows there like 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a grizzly pear bar at the time. Um, the dive bar, dive bar in the village. At the time, I would basically say it was the best batting cage for a stand up comedian because there was always comedy shows going on there. Mm-hmm. Old school guys in the street barking, selling tickets, high free comedy. Forever it existed like that. It, there was just no organization. Um, you know the show on HBO, Crashing. Yes. Because of that show, that that first season one was filmed at the Grizzly Pair. Oh, I didn't know that. I know I um, have some friends that have worked on that one. What it, it, it that show indirectly made the Grizzly Pair a comedy club because. In season one, they labeled it as a Grizzly Pair Comedy Club. That's where Pete Holmes was doing his his act. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny how life like parallels our guys selling tickets in the street during that, like like right after season one, mm-hmm. started selling tickets pretty easy to our shows because they're like, oh, because tourists were walking by New York City. Oh, this is where Crashing's filmed. So right away, like it became like a a big wave of just. Every weekend, we started selling out shows more and more because this is where Crashing was filmed. Um, it, 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 oh, seven years ago, it organically basically turned itself into a comedy club. Um, at one point, the owners picked me and Kenny Warren, who's my, my partner like that, that runs the comedy at the Grizzly Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically picked me and him that we want you guys to run this as a comedy club. And we're, we're comics, so at the time, it was like very new to us to run a comedy club. Um, but a great opportunity as a comedian to now be able to get stage time. And <clears throat> the only, the one thing that cohesively like made sense when we did it was we just wanted to make the place one establishment. Mm-hmm. It was, I, 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 I think the Grizzly pair before we made it a comedy club was very much like the wild west. Like you had like your place that you hung out with your, you know, with your gang. Mm-hmm. 
and that gang had Tuesdays and this gang had Wednesdays and there was no, there was no community at all. There's no organization. And that's pretty much all we did. We just, we made a schedule with the, all <laughs> the producers that kind of joined that were, that wanted to be part of the Grizzly Bear Comedy Club. Right. And now we, it's, it's pretty, in a weird way, I'd say we kind of made it like a corporate environment because we just kind of made it more organized. But um, our main goal was just to have a place where we can get better at doing comedy. Cause at, at the end of the day, all stage time is practice. Yeah, that's true. Like it's like it. On, on, you look at the top five comedians. Every club that they go into is stage time. It's practice for their special. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, like, you have to keep on using your muscle. Exactly. Yeah, your comic muscle. <laughs> so that's I mean, so so that's right now because I run the Grizzly Pair. I'm probably there. 80% of the time, as far as my shows, mm-hmm. um, I get booked monthly all over the city. It just, um, I'm probably at the Grizzly Pair, probably, I probably do like 12 spots at the Grizzly Pair a week. Damn. And then I probably do like five outside of the Grizzly Pair a week at different clubs. So how many hours are you working? God, jeez. So you're um, man, like... Wow. Well, I, I manage. The, I, I make the schedule for the comics. Um, uh-huh. I I book the headliners with with Kenny. Um, I also produce shows on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Oh, wow. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be there anyway, you know. And it's, I, I right, right, right. This is more my my uh, hospitality, my bar manager mentality. Like that's why I guess it made sense for me. It's, it's weird. The, the the reason I start, I manage bars so long. Is because it would it made my schedule easier for for stand up. I understand, yeah. Like, you... like when I when I started doing stand up, I was managing a bar a block away from the Grizzly Pair, and that's actually how I, I first started doing stand up. After my one man show, and I was interested in doing stand up, I became friends with a lot of the stand up comedians in the in the neighborhood that produce shows. I would give them like a free shot, and they're like, "Oh, you want to go do five minutes?" And that's kind of how like my first stage time was me leveraging like me trading like free booze. <laughs> to, get, to get on stage but it works hey, right? yeah you gotta but it's in the, in the middle like in the middle of my bartending shift i'd be like i'll be right back i gotta i'm gonna do five minutes next door and that's how the whole pattern started damn so you would be bartending and then you would go in and go do a quick set and come right back come right back i'll be like i'll let the bar back or the manager like can you watch the bar for like five minutes wow so that's, that's the that's the beauty of being in new york yeah oh sick like absolutely yeah because yeah, only in new york because uh I, I recently interviewed a couple comics in LA and they, they kind of like dream. Oh, I heard in New York, you could just take an Uber and this. And, and one girl got so many tickets. It was unreal. Well, you get, I mean, th- 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 I think this is the only place that. Yeah. Only city. From, from, from bottom to top, you can do like five to 10 spots in one day. If you want. Wow. Like the, mo- the most I've ever done is six, but like some people have done like nine, 10, and 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 they're all in train subway distance. In Miami, in LA, it's crazy. You have to drive an hour to do one spot. Like if, if you're in Miami, you got to drive to West Palm Beach for your eight oh. o'clock. From West Palm Beach, you got to drive to Fort Myers for ten thirty. Hopefully, make it back to Miami by eleven thirty or twelve yeah. to make your spot. Like that's 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 the only thing that I'm grateful for in New York City that. Which is why, right. like I said, you become a better performer because you have more opportunity to get on stage. So, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's more exposure to and more people overall. As it's, yep. I've, seen, I've seen other cities and it's, 
it's usually like in um, Tampa, for instance, they just have like headliners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's just not too uh, not exciting. I don't know. Like I'm so accustomed to big cities, it's hard for me to be in a small city. Like Tampa, to me, I have a house in Tampa. Yeah. Tampa's small. Well, I, you know, it's uh, as a performer though. Like I, what I've learned is, it doesn't matter how good you are in one city. You have to learn what it feels like to perform in every city. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that the different the different comedy in every city is different. It's like I, 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 it's like the Matrix to me. Like you, you're like it's, you have to download yeah. you have to download that program in your head so that you know what it feels like. like. You know what it feels like to be on stage in Denver. You know what it feels like to be on stage in San Francisco. It's a different demographic. Your jokes although are going to be funny, you're going to have to say them from a different point of view because it's just different. It's just different, different segment. It, I mean, even in New York City, every different stage, every different neighborhood changes your point of oh, view yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, how yeah, you yeah. put your jokes. Yeah. No, exactly. Which is, but that, that's all learning curve. I think that's why the more you do stand-up, you get better and better because you've experienced every aspect. That's why... The, I tell every comic, like, don't say yes to, like, every opportunity to get on stage because it's all growth. Yeah. So um, you've toured before. Where are the place, some of the places that you've toured at? I haven't, um, I, right before COVID, I was on the road a lot. I haven't really toured like, until I, I have my first actual special. Like, right now on YouTube, I have a mini special that we filmed at the Grizzly Pair, like, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Like, right when COVID was ending. Um but my, I, like, I, I don't want to actually say, like, I don't want to, cons- I'm being very, like, professional in my head. Like, I don't want to consider <laughs> actually touring until I'm going to start promoting my first special. Oh, okay. I understand. My, my goal is in a year and a half to do my first hour special. Um, I've, tr- I've performed in, I, you know, I haven't gone to LA yet. I've, I've done Vegas. I've done Denver. I've done Boston. I've done Florida. I've done Alabama. I've done, I've done almost the whole Eastern, see, like, I've done DC. I've done Georgia. Like, I've, the Carolinas. Uh-huh. I've done the whole northern, northeastern side of America. Um, managing a club gets you stuck there a lot, which is why, like, you, I, I, giving myself a goal now, like post COVID, is to uh, go on the road at least like twice a month and just have yourself, because that's the, the only way you grow. Like right, 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 right now, I'm performing in New York City a lot, but I, my last show outside of New York City was. In Atlantic City, a couple of months ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do. I do Atlantic City very often, but I, I just haven't haven't gone up. You there. haven't had a chance. I, well, yeah. How can you when you're managing a club? Like you're pretty well, much. I, like- I, I finally had the freedom to do it. Now I uh, we we just opened a new Grizzly Pair Comedy Club like three months ago, and that's the last year and a half. Which is that's why I've been so busy. We were supposed to open a year ago, and just the preparation to open this new club. Has taken a oh, big focus. Where, there's a new club where in Atlantic City or in, no in, in New York City. Oh, okay. Oh, you did like a reopen, re-grand opening no, or something. Uh, a brand brand new location. Second oh, location. a brand new location. Yeah. So that's this is uh this is why I haven't been on the road traveling a lot, performing. Right, a lot right, of, right. Oh, uh, you gotta yeah, you're handling a lot of stuff. It's uh I, I almost have it down to the point now that I can actually autopilot it and I can go be a comedian again. Right. Um, but right now it's it's it, it's such an early it's like a baby like it's in the early. Where exactly of... is this new location? So the original one is on McDougal Street mm-hmm. and West Third, right next to the Comedy Center. The new one is on Fifty Fourth Street between Eighth and Broadway. Oh, in Midtown. Yeah, Midtown. Okay. Really, really, really nice 
really nice location. Like it, I'm so used to the one downtown. It's it's a dive bar mentality. Mm-hmm. It's a good invite. It's almost like a. I was going to say like a place like in Alabama, but like, um, <laughs> like it's just a like place a, in Alabama in the middle of Midtown New York. Come on, like, nah, come no, it's just like a kind of like a divey, a very divey looking place. Oh, it's a does, very divey looking that gets packed and does comedy shows. This place in Midtown, the owners, like I give them a lot of credit. They they put a lot of love and thought into opening the place. Um, you walk in there and you feel like you're in a comedy club. Like it's 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 a good. It's a good environment. It's, it's, it's got such a great vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right across the street from the original Studio 54. Oh, nice. So their, their theme was one side of the room, they paid homage to Studio 54 and all the great pictures of all the great celebrities each performed there. Mm-hmm. The other side um, is pictures of all the like comedians that have been locked up. Just like mugshots. Mugshots of comedians. Yeah, mugshots of comedians. But uh, it's, it's cool because it's... Uh, it's it's it. After like three months now, you can already feel the energy of, as since week one of, comics coming in showing their heads now, even like a more and more tourists are walking in because just the the, the names just starting to get out there. So, it's uh I'm 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 really excited about it because uh, even as a comedian, it's it's already made me a better comedian on stage performing at this place. Like because like I said, it's just like the Matrix. I've downloaded a brand new program from scratch. Right. You're being strategic. What's uh, I I just think, um, for example, like the Grizzly Fair downtown, I've performed in that stage for over 10 years. Wow. So you you know, every little funny detail about the place. Yeah. And side joke because you've you've heard it. You've lived it now Mm -hmm. opening like performing in a brand new stadium in a brand new arena stage, whatever you want to call it. You're getting all the new kinks out of it. And so maybe some new traffic too, because I exactly. think yeah. over there in Midtown, it's a whole different audience, more business well, it's more, people. It's a very tu- touristy, uh, I would say oh, downtown okay. is uh, 50-50. You get 50% tourists, 50% bridge and tunnel locals. Uh-huh. Midtown, it's like 95% like tourists. Uh, oh, yeah. so it's a whole bunch of tourists. So you have to do more it's marketing, me- marketing towards uh, like the old fashioned style, be outside and... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pass off flyers. Like, Pass off flyers. Yeah. Old sticker. school. Yeah. Is that, a, is, that uh, a German is that a German Shepherd behind you? Oh, yeah. Is he coming right behind? Yeah, that's my dog. Nice. He, he just had to go break into... Uh, uh, he had to come jump in there. <laughs> jump into <laughs> the uh, action. He wanted some attention. He wants a spotlight, too. Nice. Yeah. So growing up in Miami and everything... Um, now, you didn't know you wanted to be a comic when you were young, but did you ever admire any comedians when you were young? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I admired performance, I guess. Mm-hmm. My, my dad played salsa his whole life. Um, none of his sons played an instrument. I had two older brothers. We all played sports, but nobody played any instrument. Nobody performed. Um, grow, I mean, growing up, I loved Robin Williams. Mm, yeah. Um, Richard Pryor, um, George Carlin. They're not the reasons why I started. I want uh, Steve Martin. They're not the reasons why I wanted to get into stand up, but I, I, they made me admire comedy as a kid. Like I always wanted to. SNL was probably my favorite show as a kid. Me too. Me too. 
and that was kind of in my dream. Like if I would have had the, the ideal dream is to make it, I didn't know how I was going to make it famous, but to be a guest, like a, a, a guest star on SNL. Right. And it's like, that's always been the fantasy in my head. Of like make it that famous that you get asked to be one of the guests on SNL, like for, for that one week. Right. Um, so I guess even growing up when I was like younger, Will Ferrell was probably one of my favorites and not, not even yeah. stand up wise, just like funny. Right. Um, stand up now. That's said probably since college, since I was like 17, 18, like inspired was uh, Bill Burr, Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Um, now I see like Jim, see Jim Gaffigan, um, Mark Norman, probably very current mm-hmm. guy. That's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I, I think uh, this is my instrument. Like I think my instrument has always been like I've always enjoyed writing, and I've always l- loved laughing is my favorite thing in the world to do, which is why I like comedy. Right. It didn't matter what style of comedy was. This is, I guess, the one that I've decided to do now. Yeah. Um, but it's. But I, I think it's. Uh, I had an appreciation as a kid, and I didn't realize it going to all my dad's gigs, like growing up. Mm-hmm. My my dad played salsa with um. My dad toured. My dad was uh, Miami Sound Machine's opening act. Oh for, wow! For, for oh my years. god, it was such, that was such a big deal when I was young. Oh, Cayocho! I did Cayocho every year. Oh, you Cause did? Because because my dad was in Cayocho like with his band. So like I didn't as a kid, you don't appreciate this, but like I would yeah. go to this and just watch my dad play the trumpet with his. Yeah, his when we were kids, stuff got old. Like <laughs> I, I know. Well, how I, they- I, but it isn't until you get older that you appreciate right. like salsa he, music and, and the whole culture. Like as a kid, I, I it's funny because as a kid, it was like, oh, I get to play hide and seek with all the other kids. Like yeah. it wasn't like, I, like I'm going to go watch my dad play salsa, but my dad played with Cela Cruz. Wow. Like his, my dad's last guy, Ocho, his band La Tremenda opened for, uh, for, for Celia. Oh, they, they were, they were, they were, um, they were Celia's band for the whole Cayocho. Um, you know, they're going to put her on the quarter now. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah. Um, my dad was pretty good friends with Willie Chirino. Oh wow! Um, like, like he, they, they, they just perform. It's just like stand up. Like how I, I'm pretty good friends with right pretty popular guys now because we are we see each other all the time. My dad saw these guys all the time. So as a kid, I didn't realize I was walking. Like my, my dad, I, we played with uh, uh, Tito Puentes like a few times. Uh huh. It's funny. I didn't, I didn't appreciate this at all as a kid. <laughs> right. Until like now, I'm in my forties. Looking at pictures, like, oh my god, is this you, Tito Puentes? Like, that's that's awesome. Like, well, you had a more fun uh, childhood than I did. You were more connected. You didn't realize, yeah, you really. Didn't I didn't realize, realize it exactly. Like, no, no, yeah, no. My age, well, in my head, I was in my head I was a Cuban baseball player that was going to make it to right. the major leagues. That's why. I, well, there was a lot of money. I had a cousin that went to the minor leagues and got a lot of money. You know, yeah. I remember like he made four hundred and fifty thousand or something crazy a year. Yeah. We were like, wow. That's like really fortunate. Like a lot of guys. He was just minor. He wasn't major. Exactly. Yeah. The thing is, like, so, so, even even some people that go to the minors don't make that much money, which is kind yeah. of crazy. Like that's like he's he should be grateful. I yeah. think he was a good player. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. what what else happened because it's like a second cousin, but uh, yeah. So I understand. And plus, as kids, they play sport. You know, boys play yeah. sports, and then it's you know with your front, you know, family and mm-hmm. everything else. So I totally get it. But uh, so you're a generation X. Generation X, not millennial too, right? You're I am 1980. So yeah. I get, 
Is yeah, you're ge- you're right at the cusp, but I consider it more Generation X, like same thing as me. So it's I think I'm a Generation X with a baby boomer blood. Like yeah, yeah. So we we get we we saw a lot of things. The birth of the internet. We got to like you. I enjoyed watching uh, Saturday Night. Like my thing was though, and part of the reason I always. I didn't want to be a stand up comedian. I wanted to be behind the scenes and create stuff. Mm. And I didn't understand the concept of being a producer when I was young. I didn't understand that whole. Um, I would, when I looked at Saturday Night Live, I was, um, it was Lauren Michaels. I was like, ooh, I want to be like him. And Johnny Carson, I was like, yeah. oh, I want to be like him interview. But I never saw females do it. That's pretty awesome. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. never. So any feet? Well, you see females now doing, you know, having production companies and all that yeah. other stuff. So luckily now we, with the birth of COVID, a lot of people are doing independent things. So I finally like with this podcast, yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that's funny. Like as a kid, like how you can see a whole picture of people, and that one person is what inspired you to do something. But right. me looking at that exact same picture, I probably mm-hmm. looked at somebody else in the picture that one, like I wanted to emulate. Right, right. Uh, you, you, right. which, which, which is, which is amazing because like Lauren Michaels is a badass. I remember when seeing him because he was always, you know, he had that humor where he was, uh, was it pan uh, humor? Pan, what's it called? I can't think. Dead, right now. Deadpan humor. Yeah. Yeah, he had that deadpan humor, and he would keep quiet. But I knew. I remembered at a young age. I'm like, he's that guy's running things. That guy's running. Yeah. Th- I want to be this guy. Like, I didn't want to be one of the performers or whatever. I wanted to like call the shots. Or, and I also, there's a part of me that I kind of, um, cause I worked when I was in LA, I worked at an agent's office and then I saw kind of how people bowed down to you. Yeah. And I, I'm naturally a little dominant too. I'm a little sadistic like that. So sorry, what do you, but, but I kind of <laughs> like when I remember working at an agent's office, like I saw how like the actors would come in and then, you know what I mean? People would like kind of bow down. I was like, Whoa, that's who you want to be. Yeah. Forget being like, so that's, I knew like at a young age, like I saw what they were doing and I admired Johnny Carson for being the one interviewing and everybody wanting to be on the show. And I admired Oprah Winfrey, for instance, because she was, she, she was probably the first female that I saw that did a lot of things, but I kind of knew, you know, you know, but you can't yeah. really figure it out. Then if you grow up in Florida, you really can't figure it out because and I feel like in my cultural background, because like my aunt was a doctor, she was the first like doctor in the family and um, some of my family, they were pushing like, edu- you know, yeah. how, like family push, push education, yeah. go to college, push education. They don't really push the creative. I got in trouble when I went down to Miami and um, I, one of my cousins, their daughter was dancing and I was trying to tell her about, I got like yelled at like for this, I was telling her, Oh, you know, there's a school called Juilliard and you could, yeah. they, they're like, no, she's going to be a doctor. I was like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's just how our culture is. And you, know, it's fu- yeah. you know, it's funny. You just gave me like a really good flashback of like some, a moment in my life that made me want to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it, it all ties back to like my love for SNL. Um, and even saying like, because of this idea is why, like I wanted to move to New York and even my parents, like, dude, you graduated from college and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But uh, my senior year in college, uh, my, my the, the sorry, my senior year in high school, the high school that I went to it was a Belen Jesuit prep, uh, all boys school. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very 
well known for having a skit that we would do like once a year mm-hmm. called the senior skit that it was uh it would sell out every year because like other high schools would come watch it our like the our own classmates and parents would come watch it because it was basically just a, like roast if you call it it would be called roasting today but it was basically just sketch comedy making fun of like every other high school and all the teachers and stuff right um I, I played sports. I didn't do any acting or anything at all in high school. And when we auditioned for it, I could imitate three of my coaches like perfectly. Wow. Um, that the day, of the, the day of the show, we, we did the show probably like 10 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we rehearsed it all week. We did it for every class. We did it like three times at night for the, for all the other people that came to watch it. Um, I had, it's probably one of the most enjoyments I ever had in my life and I had never performed or anything. Um, but I, but I crushed it. Like I, that I, I, I had people laughing so hard playing. I, I remember playing the coaches that uh, the best <laughs> compliment that I ever got after was uh, from the theater, the theater teacher, right. the professor that from my high school. He goes, he goes, you're an asshole. Like this <laughs> after the last play, after the very last play, I was like, I'm like, why? It's like, you should have taken my class two years ago. You were like, like, planted that in my head like you should have taken my class two years ago like you're like you're natural and as a 17 year old you hear this you're like oh my god like right maybe you watch all these movies of uh, somebody making it moving to new york or moving to hollywood uh, so in my head like man like i i really want to try to perform it so as i was playing sports that idea of like man i i wonder if i would like acting or or try it out always stayed in the back of my head that finally when i moved to new york is when i finally the art that that book, the artist way, made me focus on, like you know what, dude, like it's one thing that you you got that compliment, your which at the time was like six, six years ago, right. and it's been in the back of your head, and it's gonna eat you alive if you never face it. Yeah. So so that's uh that that, that I think that moment in high school is probably a big moment why I'm still doing stand up today. Like, oh wow. Yeah. Wow. It's it's funny how when we were kids. We kind of want, oh, and another thing I remember as a kid is I love playing um, pretend, uh, like as a kid. I loved yeah. when they would have like, uh, not doctor, uh, but like, <laughs> remember in kindergarten class, they would have like a fake kitchen or a fake bank or, you know, I remember there was a place, it was like a little city, like for kids and it was, you could pretend and stuff. Yeah. And I like that. I did like that pretending. And it's just I really enjoyed it. And I knew like um, because my family was pushing the doctor thing, the lawyer, the do this, go to college. They were pushing it down so heavy down my throat. Um, It's weird how like our families push, you know, certain people. And then I raised here I am. I raised my uh, youngest in Los Angeles. And my parents gave up. Yeah. Oh, your parents so they, gave up. <laughs> they didn't give up. I think they just accepted that I wasn't gonna like stop. Right. Trying. Like, I understand. Like, yeah. like, like this is what I want to do, and you can't stop me. Like, I was like, I, I, this is what okay. I love. Like, and I raised. It's funny. I raised my um, youngest in L.A. with everything creative, and you could do whatever. And I tried like being more open with her, and uh, she got her SAG card. She's been on TV shows, and she don't want to work and do any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like what the hell that's a, that's a millennial have, for you dude like, yeah no she is generation z and that's the scary generation z 
That's even oh, scarier. Like, oh, they're they're like like millennials. Like you'll have an argument. Like I I used to find them kind of argumentative and, and like kind of problematic. Like with their pronouns and this. And I'm like, whoa, hold yeah. on. Like oh my, that's not my pronoun. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm having to stare. Okay, and and I'm like, can you put it on your ch-? like? I I was like, and I have to tell them, look, I'm a new generation. And I'm not used to these pronouns at yeah. all. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I like, and, and, and then somebody was telling me once, well, sometimes mine change. And I'm like, why? What the hell? Like, I can't keep up with you. <laughs> I'm like, look, I, I can't, I can't keep up with you. I'm, I'm older. Okay. Yeah. Like, don't That's get offended. Nice. Yeah. Like I can't do it. Like when they start with, this is my pronoun. And then the one time they said, oh, but it changes every once in a while. And I'm like, look, I can't keep up with you. If you're going to change your pronouns, change your name. I, I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> but Generation Z? Oh, no. no. A whole other story? Oh, no. This kid has a SAG card. Um, and, uh, you know, she was on a couple of TV shows when she was young. She was in commercials. She's real talented. She's about five foot. 96 maybe 100 pounds the most looks like she's 12 years old at 18 years old and wants to work at sandwich shops <laughs> <laughs> and then goes to me and whines how hard it is um to make money uh, and how tough in life it is and i'm like and she's and then another thing she's she was super smart Super yeah. smart. She goes, I need a break from college. Oh, and she came in second in her high school class. Oh, wow. This, this is, a yeah, in a school in Manhattan. Every wow. opportunity. Yeah. And needs a, a year break. So in school. Jeez. <laughs> so generation. It's a year break. A year break is turning into two. And I don't know. It's always something. Um, but she is she is good with makeup. But I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. She's at her third sandwich shop. So. The kid better make a hell of a damn sandwich. For real. Seriously. It, it's something, but I'm done. That, this, there's no more kids. The oven's done. I, have, I don't I'm, have any I'm kids over yet. It. Oh, you dodged a bullet. Uh, man, <laughs> you know what? It's it's coming around the corner, though, because I've, I've been with my girlfriend for seven years. She's oh, she's going to. She's 33. I'm 42. And, and she's Italian. She's going to. She's Italian. <laughs> her, uh, well, it's literally like that, dude. Her mom and her sister are. I started to corner me. Like <laughs> they're cornering you. <laughs> so everybody's all Catholic. Pretty much. Oh, that solves yeah. problems. Yeah. That solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Same mom, basically. Pretty much. Like, yeah. Keeping mom in the same. Your family too is Catholic, right? Yeah. Okay, so then it's the patrinos you have to worry about next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which my which which my oldest, I got her. Um, I went and had, this is the Catholic in me that uh, I went and had her uh, confirmation, baptism and all that to prepare her to be a godparent. Mm. And then I have my cousins and they all have kids. And I'm like, and the thing is, my my oldest is going to be very successful. Uh, she's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be really, really successful. And I'm talking to my cousins and they're not even baptizing her. And I'm like, I, she's got her first confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna like make money what's wrong why don't you want to make her a godparent you know that's hilarious so, yeah that's the next that's the next that's step the next wave you. exactly once you have a kid then it's going to be the godparents and you're going to have it on both sides yep it, that's going to be a whole <laughs> on a, on a whole a, a whole brand new chapter 
Oh, Lord. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So uh, what are your plans now with comedy next? What are you, uh, besides working your ass off crazy? Um, Because you, you, right now you're probably the hardest working comic um, that I've inter- interviewed. I think the, the, the way I look at it is if I didn't say yes to the opportunity that I have in front of me. Right. Somebody else would be doing it. Yeah. And I wouldn't be getting on stage as many times as I am right now. And I've, I've always had that point of view of like, I, I look at myself two years from now, like how much better of a comedian am I going to be mm-hmm. two years from now, three years from now? And even when I first started doing stand-up, I remember guys that had been doing it for 10, 15 years used to always tell me that like, wait till you see yourself in five years. Like how much better of a comedian, of a performer in general you have. So I, I've been doing it for 12 years now. I keep looking at it like that. Like, I don't know if you've ever read um, Steve Martin's book, but he's, uh, he's got a pretty accurate formula for almost every comedian that's extremely famous and successful now. Mm-hmm. He says it takes you 10 years to learn how to do comedy, five years to get good at it, and five years to enjoy it. Mm. So 15 years, if you, that's, that's how long anybody that's like, that knows comedy that you can be naturally funny and pick it up. But the years of experience that make you a, like, a full season comic, I, I think it, it doesn't happen to you after your 10 years. Right. Like, like I think you can be very successful. I think you can be funny and, and have like a good five, 10 minute set. But the, at the rate of these guys doing longer sets now, it's, it has to come from like hours of state time. Right, right, right. And like building more. Oh, just more uh, building more material, more content. Like even uh, uh, this is a funny. Uh, um, Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. Mm-hmm. She. Uh, I remember when I was a kid. Remember when? Because we're this about the same age. Remember when we were a kid and she first started out? Well, she. she I, saw, the... I, I saw it in an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, it terrified her because she won a competition that was the funniest woman in America. I remember that competition when watching it when I was young and, and she won it. But she what's crazy is what, what sucked about winning that was she had only been doing stand up for a year. So she only had 10 funny minutes. She only had 10 minutes of material. Right. So now she's getting booked all over America oh. as the funniest woman in America with just 10 minutes. So she said it was the most humbling experience for her her first two years because she actually had to learn how to do stand up because her learning curve had to like go up super fast right. to be credible, to be the funniest woman in America. So that's, wow. that's like a huge, like a realistic story of like, you can be naturally funny and somebody can help you write to be a, a special and you can do like an hour, but like, if you look at like, I think Bill Burst is a good analogy. He's, um, even like really good comics that you know now that put together like a, a comedy special once a year. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Quality. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I'm. I've watched each and every one of them on Netflix. I watch each well, and every. Yeah. If, if, if if you look at guys that had specials that it took them five years to do, it's almost like yeah. like like cooking. Like if you make something in a crock pot, it's gonna taste better than putting something on the on the frying pan for ten minutes. Like these. Like I think some of the comics that like wait more than one year and like let their jokes digest and grow because I think every joke has like a a life and it you can have like a year old baby joke or you can have a joke that 
right it, it has to progress to and you've got to keep up with them more yeah. and more that's why i do have a level of respect for stand-up comedians and uh i used to do this show on ig and i interviewed one time somebody that just went viral wasn't really a stand-up comedian and the way he was compared to stand-up comedians the he was cocky and, he, yeah. and, then, and then I interview stand-up comedians and it's so much, I, I have so much more respect for somebody that's stand-up comedian because you can't, like Ellen did, she literally went viral back then, but yeah. then she had to keep it up. If she would have, yeah. if she would have let that cockiness, oh, I'm the funniest woman and kept that up, nobody would want to, and yeah. it, like, and I learned that too. And that's when I really learned to make a niche out of this podcast. And I said, I only want stand-up comedians here. Um, because after interviewing somebody viral, I, I didn't want that big head going on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I've noticed, um, with different comedians, the one, the people, the best, some of the best interviews is the people that have been around the, the longest and the, mm. that show up that are on time that are, uh, you know, are the people that have been around the longest because yeah. it builds, builds up character. You're right. And, uh, the longer they're improving everything, the performance gets better. But you work right. a hell of a lot with the man. I just can't believe like managing uh, the grizzly pair and everything you do. You work. A, you are really a hustler. I mean, I, 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 I want to see my goal all the way through. You know what I mean, like I, uh, yeah. I, uh, I've been doing it now. And I think the more important thing for me to keep climbing in my, right. in my own path is to give myself more and more goals down the road. So like I think right now I want to see the club do well because it'll make me as a comedian prosper at the same time. Right. Um, and this year I plan to go on the road a lot and mm-hmm. build my fan base so I can do my first hour next year for my first special. That'll be good. So thank you so much for coming on. Could you please my pleasure. tell my audience um all where they can find you the social media if you have any websites twitter ig wherever so they can just follow you yeah uh, mainly you can follow me on instagram cuban is funny tiktok is cuban is funny um i have a mini special that i filmed about a year and a half ago at the grizzly pair called it's just a pair on youtube just uh, type gabe dorado and you'll find it um go to the grizzlypair.com website i'm pretty much there almost every night performing so <laughs> click on my name and you'll see my schedule um that's me in a nutshell right there so all right well thank you so much for being on sunday likewise thank you for having me if you're like me you want to get your business ahead but there's certain skills you need but you just don't have if this sounds like you then you need to head over to fiverr they have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hired this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going to Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much from my business through them so please 
Use my link, which you can find in the description of this episode, or you can go to MarcellaAlonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today. You'll be glad you did.